I should say this every Sunday, but this Sunday my heart's overflowing. I'm very grateful for what the Lord is doing in the midst of His people. We are a blessed congregation, and as a blessed congregation, let's go to our great blessing, the Word. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. As you're turning there, I want to speak briefly about a topic I'm not happy about, I'm not joyous about, and it's something of a new phenomenon, at least in the way it's being presented. But we have these things now that we know of as deconversion stories. Deconversion stories, there's, there's sort of, a, sort of a, a flip side, back side of, of testimonials, of conversion stories. But now we have deconversion stories. We're used to giving testimony of how the Lord brings people into His kingdom, into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to saving faith. What we don't like to hear is those who have professed saving faith falling away, deconverting, as it's being called. One particular such story hit the news this week. Fairly famous professing Christian author, particularly back towards the latter part of the 90s and early 2000s, Joshua Harris, who wrote as a very young man, uh, I Kiss Gating, Dating Goodbye, a book that was calling for sexual purity, which is a, it's a good call, to call for sexual purity in a, in, in a culture such as ours, or any such culture. And yet, there were some problems even in, in, in that book and the way he was describing it. Well, it seems as if Joshua Harris, who then became a pastor and then stopped pastoring to go to seminary and then stopped going to seminary, he has divorced his wife and he's divorcing himself, or they're in the process of getting a divorce, and he's divorcing himself from Christianity. Some who profess Christianity have walked away from the faith, some will. And I don't know about you, but it hurts when I hear such stories. It's like getting punched in the gut. Sadly, there will be, and I pray Joshua Harris is not one, I pray that this is something that is just a, for a period of time where he's falling away and, and that the sovereign spirit would draw him to true saving faith. But there will be, sadly, those who rightly bear the name apostate. And we ought to lament. But there's another category of professing Christians that we should lament. It's not just those who reject a profession of faith with their words, but it's those who hollow out their faith by their actions, by their lifestyle. In parable about wise stewardship of God's blessings, there's a deeper meaning, a deeper point being made. We come back today to the parable of talents found in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Yes, it's a, it's a story, it's a parable that should help us and guide us 
in being good stewards of all the blessings that God gives us. But there's a deeper point that Christ is making, and, I, and that's the point I want us to, to drive at today in this short series as we're taking a break from 1 Samuel, this short series on, on this parable, a, a fitting response to the actions of, of this congregation and the actions of the session as we seek to move forward in being a faithful congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, stewarding the blessings that God has given to us well. It's a fitting passage to come to. But saying all that, there is this matter that's before us. What's true faith? What does true faith look like? How is it evidenced in this fallen world? As we're about to dive once again into this text, remember three things. Remember first the context. This is just a portion of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. That is Jesus' teachings to His disciples. And think about that. It's his, his band of disciples. And think about who's there. Judas is there. It's that discourse right before Jesus goes triumphantly into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the cheers, to the adulation, but then by the end of the week, what? To the cries, crucify Him, crucify Him. So He's speaking to His disciples, and there's a theme that runs through this amazing discourse, the hard-to-understand discourse, and that theme is judgment. That theme is Christ will come, and He will come in judgment. And it had application for those disciples in the coming days and in the coming years, up to, say, A.D. 70 in the fall of Jerusalem. But it also has application, as I said last time, to all of Christians between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, that we need to bear in mind there is a day coming in which Jesus the Savior will judge. As we have confessed, as was sung, the living and the dead. Remember the context. So remember the context. This is one of two parables in chapter 25. The first, the parable of the ten virgins. The second, the parable of the talents. And remember what good Bishop Ryle said. The first was about watching with vigilance. And this parable is about working with diligence. And we must do both, and those who are truly believers, by God's grace, will seek to do both. Watching with vigilance, working with diligence. That's the context. Then remember the word talent. By talent, Jesus is not, not talking about a sort of native ability that makes you be able to pick up instruments and the flute is your worst instrument. Shay. If that's your worst instrument, oh my word. Natural abilities, talents. That's not the way Jesus is using the word. He's using it in a monetary sense. It's, it's money. Or at least a measure by which you measure money. And as we said last time, the, the range of uh, how much a talent was worth, it varies based upon the commentator. But, but we recognize the range is the range of a lot of money. Half a million, if we translate it in today's terms, for, terms, from half a million to one and a quarter million dollars. A lot of money. And then third, remember the, remember the outline. 
we see the beginning of the parable, the, the challenge and the weight of God's blessing upon those who've been blessed. Secondly, we see the right and wrong responses to God's blessings. And then third, we see the blessing and judgment of God according to those responses. Challenge, response, judgment. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going, and what is the it? The kingdom of heaven. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and another one talent, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, we don't know how long that's going to be, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hardened man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where, where I scatter no seed? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given." And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of God for the people of God. God. Last time our focus was on the weight of blessing. That we as individuals and as a congregation bear. The Lord has blessed us all. Amazingly so. And I hope you did those exercises where you went and thought about all the blessings that the Lord has given to you. Both material and spiritual blessings. And that you also went and thought about all the blessings that the, God, that the Lord has given to us as a congregation. I hope you did that. And I hope you come away or came away with that astounded at the goodness of God. But also the weight that those blessings have upon our shoulders. 
I'll quote Ligon Duncan again. This first section, he says, the point of the story so far is that Christ has entrusted his church with gifts and those gifts are to be employed for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his kingdom's sake. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. What we own doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. All that he has given us he has given us so that we might glorify Him and that we might do good to our neighbor. The point here is that Christ has furnished all of His people with personal resources for the sake of building up His kingdom. The blessings are waiting. What will we do with them? What will we do with them? Well, what did the servants do with the blessings received from their master, the talents received from him? How did they respond? We move from the challenge and weight of blessing to the responses, the right and wrong responses. These servants were like investment portfolio managers. Here's our money. Go invest it. Do it well. And their responses couldn't be more different, could they? The first two have the same response, right? The first two have a wonderful response. The first two servants have an immediate, an industrious, an imaginative, faithful response to the blessings that their master had entrusted into their care. Verse 16. He who had received five talents, when it wants, immediate, no hesitation. And traded, he's thinking, how might I use these, these talents for my master's benefit? Traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. No hesitation. No indolence. No reluctance. No misgivings about the master. Just trust and obey. Trust and obey. Active faith, or as one minister put it, it wasn't drudgery for them. They were excited about this opportunity to invest the master's money. They were grateful for the tremendous privilege and responsibility that had been given to them. And they were anxious in a good way to go about doing the master's business. And when the master returns after a long time, what were they? They were excited, right? I mean, it, you know, it just seems like they're just ready, ready for him to return because when he returns, they want to give him all this that they had, had made. It all seems to me clear. They loved their master. They wanted to honor their master. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, here, I've made five more. Master, you've delivered to me two talents. Here, here, I've made two more. I remember my days, and I probably have mentioned him before, but I remember my days in high school and college when I worked for a man by the name of Mr. Gene Prince, owner of Maxwell Prince Furniture. And Mr. Gene Prince was a prince of a man. He was good. He was kind. 
He was encouraging. And he took a risk by employing a bunch of teenage guys to drive his trucks and deliver his furniture to people, to customers. And I knew he took a risk. And I tell you what, I always, I always, I always wanted to do my best for Gene. As he scooted around in the store because he had MS, and smiled at me and encouraged me, I knew what he was doing for me. And I wanted to please him. Have you ever had an employer like that? Have you ever had that sort of experience? That's the experience of the first two servants. But there's a third. Verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He literally buried the money in a hole. He stuffed the money in the mattress. Lazy. No love for the master. Only fear, not a good fear. And Jesus wants us to focus on this servant. What he did and what he didn't do. And what he thought of the master. Here, don't so much focus on the faithful servants. Or, or, or don't think that Jesus is somehow teaching some kind of salvation by works sort of thing. He's not. No focus on servant number three. One who professed to be the master's servant, but he didn't what? He didn't live like it. It's clear, isn't it? He didn't love the master. It's clear, isn't it? He didn't really know the master, did he? It's clear. He wasn't loyal to him. It's clear he had no sense of obligation to serve or please his master. What did he think of his master? And what did he think of the master's blessings, the master's talent that had been trusted to him? Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. An excuse and an accusation. He fears the master, but not, not in the good biblical sense, not in, not in fearing and, and being in awe of the greatness and the holiness and the wonder of Yahweh. No, not that sort of fear, a servile, servile fear. Thinking the worst of the master. In his mind, the master was a hard man, a cruel man, an unjust man, an unfair man, an unloving man. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with that talent, does he? Get it out of my hands. Here, you take it back. It's your problem now. I don't need that kind of stress in my life. 
Jesus wants us to focus on this servant and this response. And brothers and sisters, professing Christians, is this us? Is this you? The blessings are waiting. What will we do with them? May our response be faithful, excited action and investment. Now quickly, the response of the master. Response of blessing, response of judgment. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Don't you long to hear that? Said to the second servant too, didn't he? What did he say to the third? You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Well, if that's the case, then you ought to have invested my money with bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take his out and give it to the other, right? And then that last, that last verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me state the obvious. Remember the Olivet Discourse. Remember the central theme, judgment. How will we live as professing disciples of Christ in light of the certain coming judgment? Notice, the master returned. It's a long time, but he what? He came back, and when he came back, he what? Settled accounts. Dear ones, Christ is not a liar. He is coming back. There is a future judgment. We all face it. Second, what does the master do in response to the excited, loving faithfulness of the first two servants? What does he do? He blesses his blessings. Right? They were what they were as servants because of him. They had what they had as servants Because of him. The master rewards his own gifts. I think about a father, a good father, who has a son, who loves his sons. And he raises his sons. And he teaches them values. And he teaches them 
the value of hard work and he takes care of them, he feeds them, he clothes them when they're sick and if they have to go to the doctor, they go to the doctor and they do all that. He loves them and he's preparing them. And then they get to one day where the son is old enough and he pushes the lawnmower out there to the son and says, son, I want you to cut this grass. I want you to cut this yard. And the son, because of the loving father and all that the father has done to prepare him to this point, he does it. He comes back and he's excited. He's happy with the job well done. And the father does what? Here, son, let me pay you for doing that. The father is blessing all that he has already blessed his son with, right? If that's the case with loving human fathers, brothers and sisters, how much more is it the case with our loving heavenly father? He blesses his blessings. He rewards his gifts. And he has rewarded every single one of us richly, has he not? Can I get an amen? amen? He has. So gracious and merciful to us. But lastly, we can't miss what he does with the third servant. Not good and faithful, but wicked and slothful. Judgment is pronounced. The penalty is enacted. He's cast from the loving presence of the master. No longer blessings, only what? Curses. If the servant didn't want the master, and he didn't. If the servant didn't want the blessings, the talent, and he didn't. Then he wasn't going to get them. Instead, he would get what he wanted. He would get what? He wanted. Bishop Rao, let us leave this parable with a solemn determination by God's grace never to be content with the profession of Christianity without the practice. Let us not only talk about religion, but let us act. Let us not only feel the importance of saving faith in Christ, but let us do something. Ligon says this, we're not told that the unprofitable servant was a murderer or a thief or even a waster of the Lord's money. We are told that he did nothing. And that was his ruin. Let us beware of do-nothing Christianity. Such Christianity, let's put Christianity in scare quotes, such Christianity does not come from the Spirit of God. Richard Baxter, to do no harm is the praise of a stone and not of a man. Let us with our lives, as well as our lips, express our loving loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, brothers and sisters? Judgment day is coming. Why? Brothers and sisters, 
You'll stand before God. I will too. We all will. Let's pray we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ and let's pray that our profession of Christianity has, by God's grace, been practiced. Why, brothers and sisters? Because of the Jesus who was teaching His disciples on the Mount of Olives and even was teaching Judas is the same Jesus who went to the cross and bore my sins and bore yours if you're trusting in Him and laid down everything for you. Next time, Lord willing, that I'm preaching, we'll come to the other aspects of this text. That's the main point, though, brothers and sisters. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Apart from the moving of your Spirit in our hearts and minds, O Heavenly Sovereign God, we would not understand, we would not love, we would not live for Christ. Work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Enable us to be good servants who work, who labor, not, not to earn salvation, but because of your goodness and your salvation shown to us. May our stories not be deconversion stories. May our stories be of an ever-growing faith and trust in you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.